Coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A. And our medical community is facing an unprecedented challenge and epidemic. A COVID-19 expert's view from the front lines of the coronavirus fight. There's still a lot of work that we need to do as a community, as a hospital, but we are making progress by the hour. That includes streamlining systems for treatment of COVID-19. So we have to minimize exposure to our staff, but also provide safe care and compassionate care to our patients. So we're trying to strike that balance. Among the efforts for minimizing risk, ensuring an adequate supply of protective equipment. Masks in particular. And increasing so-called telemedicine options. Something that we thought might take us years to do is happening in weeks and days. Question, how else are infectious disease doctors working to expand treatment of COVID-19? We are ramping up our capabilities to enroll patients in clinical trials. The answer next on Mayo Clinic Q&A. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Tom Shives. And I'm Tracy McRae. Joining us to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, a diagnosis, treatment, and prevention is Mayo Clinic Infectious Disease Specialist, Dr. Ellie Barbari. Dr. Barbari, so good to talk to you. I'm here. Thanks for having me. I, I know you're on the front lines fighting COVID-19 as an infectious disease specialist. How's it going? Uh, it's going, uh, Tom and Tracy. No doubt that our nation and our medical community is facing an unprecedented challenge and epidemic. Um, this uh, has really stretched our resources and our abilities uh, Mayo Clinic and the medical community in Rochester has been preparing for this for the last month or so, and we have made significant pivots and have improved our capabilities to respond to this crisis. There's still a lot of work that we need to do as a community, as a hospital, but we are making progress by the hour. Is it uh, fairly stressful being out there on the on the front lines? I know that 10 to 20 percent of those in, who have been infected in, in Italy, they're healthcare workers. So there has to be some concern. Definitely there is concern, Tom, Tracy, and, and uh, uh, as you stated, uh, healthcare workers, especially healthcare workers on the front line, uh, are affected uh, and will be affected during this epidemic. Uh, we are taking extreme precautions, and we have a robust uh, infection control, infection prevention, and occupational health program that is making sure that our healthcare workers on the front line and the folks backing them up are ready for this uh, epidemic. Have we gone from containment to mitigation yet, Dr. Babari? Yes. What does that mean? Well, containment meaning you have few cases or only one case. Uh, where you could contain that case and prevent the spread. Now we know over the last two weeks or so that especially in South Minnesota, that community acquisition is increasing, meaning that you can, you can be here, never traveled, and come down with COVID. So when you reach that level, it's very difficult to contain cases because every person can be at risk. So that's, we've pivoted it in that direction and that's what we're doing right now. What sort of personal protective equipment do the healthcare workers use when they go in to see a patient? And how much can you do virtually to care for these people? So uh, this is, uh, we're working on both fronts and the Mayo Clinic is working on both fronts. So we have to minimize exposure to our staff, but also provide safe care and compassionate care to our patients. So we're trying to strike that balance. 
PPEs or personal protective equipment uh, can vary depending on the situation and depending on the procedure, but might include mask, eye cover, uh, gowns and gloves. On the other front, we have to minimize exposure of, uh, of our healthcare workers. If you could do a visit virtually, if you could provide a service virtually, or if you have a, 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 a team where things are not redundant, this could also further reduce the exposure of our healthcare staff. And we've heard, though, that uh, PPE around the country, uh, the levels of that equipment is is. Uh reduced it depends on where you're at what can we do is there anything that can be done to try to balance that out so that the, these healthcare workers can have the PPEs that they need right and and that's a very important tracy uh, as a question uh, because we do know from experiences from other countries in europe as well as experience on the east coast and the west coast that that becomes a major issue with the supply of of PPEs masks in particular uh, there is a, a significant effort uh, around that in making sure that we use those masks appropriately, but when we need them, but also about preservation. So there are policies by the CDC on how to preserve masks. I know there is a national effort um, uh, in this country to ramp up the production, and that uh, is coming uh, also uh, our way. Uh, but until we get there, uh, we need to make sure we preserve and use the PPEs in a rational way uh, that could protect our patient and also our staff. Are you pretty well stocked right now? We are in good shape, uh, but that's all dependent on what happened and, and the number of patients that are infected and hospitalized. So tell us about the N95 respirator. That's what I was going to ask. What, what is, is that? that? And do you have plenty of those, and, and can they be reused? Yes. That's, uh, so there are two major type of masks. There's a surgical mask, which is a loosely fitted mask on the face, and that's kind of what you see mostly on TV or people that are walking around. Um, and then there's the N95 mask, which is a tighter mask that gives a higher purification and can prevent uh, aerosols uh, from uh, contaminating the nares and the mouth. Um, these uh, uh, N95 are, are the questions, and we're trying to use those N95 in a more judicious way so we can preserve what we have and use it when we need it. And, uh, and that's all dependent on the community spread and the rate of infection uh, in the hospital and outside the hospital, uh, and dependent also on the procedures that are being performed. Certain procedures that are performed on patients can generate more aerosol than others. So, um, you know, through processes and so forth, we're trying to use these in a judicious way, but effective way. Dr. Barbari, um, before this outbreak happened, this pandemic happened, people were using telemedicine and in rural areas or in special instances, but now everyone is trying to figure out how to make telemedicine work best for them. How is it going? It's going. Um, this is really has accelerated Mayo's vision uh, in virtual medicine and virtual care. Uh, we are trying to do this in a responsible way. We are trying to do this in a coordinated way, but we are seeing significant uh, uh, efforts in that in that domain, and we are ramping up our capabilities very quickly. Some of the barriers that existed a month ago in terms of licensure and, uh, you know, providing care across uh, uh, state lines is now being lifted, and that's really uh, accelerating 
that transition. Something that we thought might take us years to do is happening in weeks and days. Now, we know that there's no specific antiviral medication to treat COVID-19, but uh, it's been suggested that the two drugs, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, may be beneficial to treat these patients. Uh, Have you used it? Would you use it in the right situation? So there's currently no FDA drugs that are approved for the management of patients with COVID. There are a number of studies of various qualities that have looked at various drugs, including hydroxychloroquine, including a combination of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. At the Mayo Clinic, our position has been that we wanna use those drugs in a way that we're able to study down the road. So we are uh, ramping up our capabilities to enroll patients in clinical trials so we could rapidly know if these drugs works or not and to offer that to our patients moving forward. That is the approach that we're taking, and I think this would help our staff as well as our patients in trying to fight this epidemic. Dr. Rabari, is the new FASTER test available, Is it, and how accurate is it? So there are currently two tests that are available. There's a, the standard PCR and there's a more rapid PCR test that's, uh, that's available. Um, they, the, the, we don't know exactly the sensitivity, com, you know, the comparison between these two. In Rochester, we are using the PCR test that offers, that can give us the capabilities of testing large number of patients. We have a reasonable turnaround time, and we think that is sufficient at this point. But our laboratory capabilities are expanding in, in our ability to diagnose. And I know that our staff in the lab and, and the leaders in the lab are working hard to bring those capabilities for clinical use very quickly. All right, there's some 80 clinical trials in progress around the world, uh, testing treatments and vaccines. Are there any that look particularly promising to you? So um, there are a number of them, and some of them have more merits than others. Uh, uh, drugs such as remdesivir uh, seems very reasonable uh, to, to study. But we don't uh, have any results of that. It, it's no, being, not, it's not in, still in trial. Still in trial. Um, uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, in combination with azithromycin may be beneficial, but we need more information, and there's a, a, a concern for increased toxicity with these drugs. Some of these drugs, um, like hydroxychloroquine, has been used for malaria for a long, long time, uh, chloroquine in particular, uh, or in other rheumatologic diseases. So they have been used, and we know what their toxicity profile is. All right. Uh, you wanted to talk a minute about prevention, and we can never talk too much about that. Some <laughs> couple of quick tips. So I think from a, a community standpoint and for your listeners, Understand that this is a virus that is transmitted via droplets. Um, Because we have never been exposed to that virus, we are very susceptible to it. So sometimes a limited exposure can lead to an infection. It is very important that all of us abide by the social distancing principles that have been outlined by MDH and CDCs and others. So we're able to break and delay the transmission. The medical community needs time to adjust. We have a lot of capabilities, but if we get too many patients at the same time, this could overwhelm our system and our ability to take care of patients. 
So the most important thing we could all do right now is to continue social distancing. Social distancing, hand hygiene, and respiratory etiquette. These would be the three major ones that I would recommend. If you are sick, get tested right away. It's a very easy process, and you can get tested. Well, we have no drug to treat it. We're getting closer to knowing how many people are infected. We're far from the all clear, and for the present time, continue with social distancing. Our thanks to Mayo Clinic infectious disease expert, Dr. Ellie Barbari. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Tom. You take care. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic Q&A podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.